All right. Hey, folks, we are back for the March Q&A. Thank you all for bearing with me. And let's get into it. So first question is from David Wang. David says, hey, Faz, keep up the good work. Thank you. I will. <laughs> question. There's been a lot of talk around movements that bias the lengthened part of the movement being potentially better for hypertrophy. I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are. Okay. Great question. Now, I have to say, on a personal note, this is really interesting. So this is probably the first thing that's actually piqued my interest for many years in terms of bodybuilding or strength training, whatever. This seems genuinely very interesting. Now, here's the general outline, first of all, and then I want to add some caveats and some warnings. What we're seeing in the research is this, that in some cases, training a movement exclusively in the end range of motion. So that is doing a partial range of motion just in the stretch position seems to elicit greater hypertrophy than even a full rep. Now that's quite a big deal. This is why I'm finding it so interesting right now. So I think the initial research was looking at full range of motion and the guy who is sort of leading the charge on this, I think Milo Wolf, his name is, I believe his research was initially done where he was expecting to see full range of motion beat out partials. However, he was quite surprised by his findings in that the lengthened partials in some cases were producing superior hypertrophy than even the full range of motion. So you have full range of motion, which includes the end range, and then you're doing comparing that to just end range of motion training, maybe the last sort of 25%, something like that. And it was found that in some cases, the lengthened partials were getting more hypertrophy. There's another friend of mine who's been experimenting with this for a while, Brian Borstein, who I've done a podcast with in the past. He's also been seeing some great results with these lengthened partials. So it seems to be something which is genuinely interesting. So that's what people are doing. Now, I want to just talk through some things which come to mind when people hear this. First thing is the pros are right all along. We're just circling around and doing what the pros have been doing for years. I th that always seems to come around whenever we have some kind of new breakthrough when it comes to the scientific research. And it's an easy statement to make. It's, yeah, why do we listen to science? The bros have been doing this for years. It's a very easy statement to make to dismiss research. And it normally comes from people who don't like the research. And they are normally people who just can't interpret research very well and then get very angry about it. <laughs> angry, confused noises, <laughs> burn the witch at the stake. But I think there's a very easy counter to that point, which is simply that the bros have done a lot of stuff over the years. Just because some of it gets corroborated later on with the science doesn't necessarily mean that everything the bros do is right. There are plenty of things the bros have done which were completely wrong. Now, the other thing that comes to mind is people will go very gung-ho for this. But like I always do, I want to provide some caution. Like I do very much like the scientific discovery. I do, I do very much, as a coach, I very much have an open mind towards things. But at the same time, you also don't want to be too gung-ho. I think I have a good balance where I respect people's opinions, including the research, but I also ratify that through my personal experience. So I'm not one who's going to sit here and just dismiss anyone's either opinion or science and just say it's rubbish, which a lot of coaches do that. And I think that's a very dangerous stance to have because then it, it becomes personal, it becomes emotional rather than logical. I like to have a balance of that. And I just want to offer a bit of a caveat to all this stuff, to the excitement. 
because I think we as the natural bodybuilding community, the evidence-based community, I think we get very much carried away with these trends. And I'll just point you guys to the research on MPS seven years ago. Came out some research supporting this idea that muscle protein synthesis was spiked every time you train. So everybody was all of a sudden training each body part three or four times a week, maybe more than that, and announcing that bro splits were dead. We later came to realize actually MPS means very little when it comes to overall muscle growth. So that was all rubbish. And recently there's been a lot of talk about overhead tricep work for the long head. And you can't even go into a Reddit conversation about training without some 160 pound beginner talking about, oh, you've got to do overhead work for the long head. Otherwise you're never going to work your long head. And it's the most preposterous thing I've ever heard. I tell you this, when I was benching 400, my long head was very activated. And if it wasn't, I wouldn't have got that weight up. So it's one of those things where I think people get very enthusiastic and then just go all in. So I want to just hold back that level of enthusiasm. And what I would say about the length and parcel research is it's not clear that this is applicable for everything. Right now, the most robust research on this seems to suggest it's quite good for the back and potentially maybe the biceps. Everything else is a little bit more up in the air. Like for example, if we just take a look at say the leg press, okay? Let's say you do a leg press nice and deep. The hardest part of the lift is always going to be when you're stretched, so the bottom position. So that's already the hardest part of the lift. It's not necessarily going to add anything if you just do length and partials in that position. So whereas for the back, it makes quite a lot more sense because you can actually load the bar with your rowing exercises with even more weight if you are not willing to take it all the way in. So you can add in, you can use more weight. Like my cable Kelsos in a way, you can use more weight in the partial position in the stretch, but you can't do that in a leg press or a squat or a bench press. So automatically those things become potentially less useful. Now the research is still unfolding. So I'll be honest with that. I'm not an expert and no one is at this stage, perhaps with the exception of Milo Wolf, but it doesn't seem like this is useful for every body part. Urge people to exercise some caution. I think one way which you could do it, which I've done it in the past is on rowing exercises, go to failure and then do more partials afterwards not a bad way of doing things. It adds overload in that position. So yeah, I think the research is very interesting. And my stance is not to get overly excited. And it's also not to completely poo-poo it as just like, oh, science nerds. I think we have to take a moderate stance. And if it's something we can use in our training, which is gonna improve, then sure, we should embrace it. We should never be, we should never be too gung-ho and we should also never be completely ignorant to just be sensible about it restrict your emotions when it comes to decisions like this and uh, you'll do well. I would also encourage you to just try and put to one side influencers who get very emotional about these topics. There are some influencers out there who get extremely emotional about lifting <laughs> and it's just a bit cringe. Just like the research on RIR or RPE, it has this application. Maybe it's not for everyone, but at the same time, I think some people either get very excited about it or get very angry about it. I just tend to find in all walks of life, people are just a lot more emotional than they should be about these kind of topics. So there you go. Perhaps that's just me being very British and very mellow. I don't know. <laughs> so next question is from Jake. Jake asked a really good question in a recent video. Jake's also a new subscriber to the channel. So welcome again, Jake. Um, he asked a question about bulking length. And I answered that 
it's better if you bulk for longer. Now, he wants just some clarification on why that would be. So here's the thing, Jake. It's not clear that the hypertrophic processes are as acute as people think they are. So what we used to believe was this. You trained, you broke down the muscle, then your body rebuilds bigger and stronger. Okay, That's what everyone used to think. And I think a lot of people still think that. So it's becoming increasingly unclear that's actually the case. It seems to be the case that these hypertrophic processes you put into play actually realize over weeks and potentially months afterwards. So putting together a series of training blocks of six weeks, 12 weeks, 18 weeks, 24 weeks, that ends up building so much gaining momentum. And these hypertrophic processes aren't just 24 hours in length, they are potentially weeks in, a, in length. So it becomes a lot more prudent to not to interrupt those hypertrophic processes after a month because you decide to cut. And you often see this with people who flip-flop between cuts and bulks. They never really gain any momentum either way. They never get lean, we can see that, but they also never really get big because they're always cutting short their gaining phases. And one of the things which I've always believed, and I've always said, there's an irony with a lot of YouTube influencers because they will get big with lots of heavy bulking, lots of getting fat over many, many years. And then once they've got their size, they'll turn around and go, Oof, you guys, you should never do that bulk like I did. Just keep it lean, keep it small, keep it steady, do your mini cuts. And it sounds very good. It sounds very PG, but it's not what they did. And it's always kind of, it always makes me laugh because my hypertrophic processes were going from the time I was 18 to the time I was 35. They weren't really interrupted with a lot of cuts. While you guys were trying to get your abs and get lean in your 20s, I was eating a lot, lifting heavy and having fun. My entire 20s was one big growth phase. Now, that's a lot of gaining momentum. So I think the guys who continue to flip-flop between cuts and bulks, I think one, they no longer, they, it's very visible that they don't really get lean. But what's not so obvious is they're not actually getting that much bigger either. Because again, these hypertrophic processes, they're not as acute as we think they are. This is a little bit like the research to do with antioxidants. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the antioxidant research, as in the effects of antioxidants on your body, it's quite interesting as well because it's very similar. It seems to be the case that what we previously believed was that you ate antioxidants like bananas, apples, whatever. And those antioxidants went inside your body and cleaned up all these free radicals. What seems to be the case is actually the antioxidants you eat, they upregulate your body's own endogenous antioxidant activity. In the same way that when you train, you're not just rebuilding bigger, you're actually switching on a bunch of hormonal cascades, which are then creating more muscle over the course of many months. Do you see what I'm saying? We don't know the full story, but what we do know is what works, and that is long gaining phases. What we're doing now is we're potentially just providing a solution for the why. Like, why do long gains, gaining phases work better? And that's probably at least part of the solution. So, yeah, hopefully that gave you a bit more clarity about my answer earlier. But thank you for the question. Right, got a question here from Kalin. Kalin is an absolute beast <laughs> and he's an OG subscriber as well. But uh, so I thought I would get to his question. So he asked a really good nuanced question about eating intra-workout and 
what things might be useful to eat intra-workout. Now, I think intra-workout is very beneficial in certain circumstances, okay? So I'm going to lay out a couple of circumstances of which Kalin does fit into. So the first one would be when you're very lean and you're on maybe a diet, a cutting diet, okay? Then it becomes far more important to leverage your carbs around your workout. So peri-workout nutrition, either before or during, afterwards maybe, but it's not as useful. So it becomes more important because then you maintain your exercise intensity. It's when you're on a cut. The other time that it's useful is if you are a very high level athlete who has an ability to pump out a lot of output. Now, Kalin, I don't think he's in the first camp because I don't think he's cutting right now, but he is very strong. So in his circumstance, his ability to output during a session is massive. The guy squats 400 for reps, deadlifts 500 for reps. He's very strong. So he's the kind of guy who's going to run out of gas if he doesn't fuel himself in the middle of a workout, regardless of the diet he's on. So for him, something which is going to force hydration during the workout is going to help a lot, which includes water, carbohydrates, and electrolytes, which is exactly what you stated here. Brown sugar, Himalayan salt with water, probably not a bad idea. The combination that I used to give my athletes back in the day was something like a bagel with jam and some salt with some water before a workout, because that would be the same thing. Carbs, electrolytes, water, all for hydration, all to get some glucose in your bloodstream and to make sure you're nice and full. So it's a good combination. But uh, yeah, I think there are those two circumstances where it's very useful. If you are just a high level athlete who is just outputting lots, I've got a few of those guys on the books right now. One guy comes to mind because he asked the question is Thomas, if you're out there, hello. Thomas is high volume bodybuilding. He's a big dude. His ability to work is excellent and he can handle a lot of volume. Those type of guys, the amount of calories they'll burn in a single session is a hell of a lot. So it's a far cry from a beginner who benches 200 pounds. That level of output is just not anywhere near as similar to a guy who's benching 300 for reps. He's just a completely different animal. And so the demands on the system are far more. So they need fueling during the session. So for somebody in that position, yeah, very useful. Not something that I necessarily recommend to everyone, but I think for specific circumstances, it is useful. All right, Sanjan had a question about kettlebells. He basically is asking, do kettlebells have any viability with alongside traditional weightlifting movements? It's an interesting question. I have a friend of mine, Yusuf from Propane Fitness, who is dead set against kettlebells of any form. And it's quite funny. He has a whole vendetta against it. I'm probably a little bit more moderate on the kettlebell issue. I think they're fine. They're okay. If I was to prescribe them for you, I would probably add them in two different ways. Firstly, as part of a circuit within your training. Now this works quite well. So one sort of, for a guy like yourself who works three days a week, you could potentially set up a circuit for every lift. So for example, a common thing that I might do is I might have you doing a squat with, superset it with kettlebell swings and planks. So that way you do your heavy squat. Let's say you do three sets of squats. And after every squat, you would do a set of 20 on kettlebells and get down and do a minute on the plank. So you're getting your main focus, which for that section of the program is the squats. You're still able to go heavy on the squat, give all your effort on the squat. And afterwards you go to the kettlebell swing. You can do that for 20 reps. You think of it as cardio. And then you go and do a plank and think of that as cardio. That's not a bad way of doing things. 
or perhaps we could do something like, I don't know, a bench press, okay? And after the bench press, you could do, say, goblet squats and then potentially pull-ups. So you have a circuit there. You're just giving the client a cardiovascular focus while they're still able to focus on the main strength portion of the workout or the bodybuilding portion of the workout, but you're giving them extra work. So they're not sat around doing nothing for three minutes. You would get them doing something because for you guys, you like conditioning, you have limited time. I don't want to prescribe you a routine where you're just sat around most of the time. You're only in the gym three times a week. You don't want the majority of that to be sitting resting. I want to give you guys something to do. So yeah, I like that as a technique. That's the first way I would use them. Second way is part of a, a circuit after training. So something I've done in the past is pick a push, pick a pull, pick a legs, and go ahead and just run them in a sort of every minute on the minute. So one thing that I did, which I really liked was five pull-ups, 10 bodyweight squats, 15 kettlebell swings, every minute on the minute for 30 minutes. It's not a bad way to go, very versatile. The only way that I wouldn't use a kettlebell is as part of actual lifting, like a progressive overload. Unless you have a whole range of kettlebells, which go very heavy, I would just use dumbbells for that. I think that's where people go wrong. They try and use kettlebells for strength training. They're not really a strength training tool unless you have like loads of them and they go very heavy. But even then, I'm always gonna rather dumbbell bench with dumbbells, not with kettlebells because they're awkwardly sitting on my forearm and it doesn't really feel very good. Yeah, they're good, but use them appropriately for conditioning work. Okay, so next question, a quick one from Three Days Grace. Which milk do you recommend drinking? Easy answer. It would be skim milk for drinking and for my tea, whole milk. <laughs> the irony of that mug. <laughs> That's what I do. Whole milk for tea because you need to have the creaminess for tea and coffee. The people who use skim milk for tea are just like psychopaths. That makes no sense. Okay, next question is from... Last question from Thomas. So Thomas's question is your training coaching experience how has training changed as lifters approach elite levels of strength yeah it's a really good question the main change is that is when they need to stop fucking around any kind of bs that they were doing before any sort of edgy bs like keto diets power building all that kind of crap all that kind of half-assed crap that needs to stop that's what needs to change there are a lot of things you can get away with when you are weak, which would crush you when you're strong. Thomas is a big, strong guy. He's a workhorse. He can te he has a lot of output. Now, if his training is even 10% not well thought out, he's going to get injured. Not just like a, he might get injured. He's going to get injured because he's just a workhorse. At that, those elite levels of strength, that is when this stuff really matters. There's a whole bunch of people who have made entire careers out of training beginners and all they really are is just motivational speakers because it doesn't matter. Like when you're a beginner, just getting in the gym and staying in the gym is what matters. When you're advanced, you need to have the experience of somebody who's been advanced, who's actually done it, preferably done it naturally so that you know they're not just relying on drugs. And that is when the BS needs to stop. And more than likely, your training will start to resemble what other high-level athletes do. So this is when, by nature, you become much more specific. High-level athletes don't do power building. It's BS. 
elite levels of strength and physique, they tend to narrowly gravitate you towards specific endeavors. One, so that you can improve, because without specificity at that range, you're not going to improve. You can't be a generalist when you're at that level of strength or physique. And two, for your own personal safety. Like if Thomas was to do a power building routine, he's getting injured. There is no way he's going to bench press in the style of a powerlifter with the volume of a bodybuilder and still come out of that uninjured. No chance. He's going to tear his body to shreds. So, yeah, the biggest lesson is when you start to reach elite levels of strength and physique, the BS needs to stop or it will stop you. So specific examples, if you want to do bodybuilding style workouts with the right level of bodybuilding volume, then your form needs to reflect that. Because if you have less than accurate, precise form, and you're trying to do bodybuilding levels of volume with that form, you're going to get hurt. That's one example. Second thing is if you're trying to do high level bodybuilding workouts and you're trying to do them on a low carb keto diet because you've heard Paul Saladino and Sean Baker think they know what they're talking about, you're not going to do so well. So all that internet, YouTube, Instagram, BS, all that stuff starts to go to one side. And I think this is the problem with guys who are beginner to intermediate. Because they're at that stage, they are looking for the secrets. And they typically listen to the guy with the unusual set of parameters, like Sean Baker, like Paul Saladino's rather than listening to the tried and tested because they're looking for the edge. They're looking for that extra 5%. The reality is there is none. It's consistency over time. There is a reason why bodybuilders train like bodybuilders. There is a reason why bodybuilders eat like bodybuilders. There is a reason why strength athletes and powerlifters typically train like high-level IPF powerlifters. It's the law of averages. If that's what you want to do, that's what you're going to move towards. For the vast majority of people, when you approach those elite levels of strength, you must specialize and you stop listening to BS. So there we go. Right, folks, I'm going to call it there. I will speak to you all in the next one. So all the best.